Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Lord, I just pray I would carry your heart and not just the message today, Lord. Let your heart be released in Jesus' name. I, um, well, if you want, you can turn. We'll get there in a moment to Acts 3. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we'll get there in a moment. Man, I feel a little overwhelmed by the Lord right now. Uh, we're in uh, our first week of fasting corporately together. I'm so encouraged by how many people are, are saying yes to that, and, and I know that looks different for every person. I probably should have clarified. I know for some, maybe you've never fasted before, the expectation was not that you would just go right into a full three weeks. I mean, if that's how the Lord leads you, that's awesome. Um, but whatever it is, your small step of faith, God honors that and blesses that. So I just, I just encourage you to join us as we're pressing the promises. But man, there's nothing, fasting just, man, gets my heart sensitive to the Lord in a unique way. And I, I am just really excited for, the, for sharing the word with you. And I guess it was a few weeks ago that Pastor Chris and I really felt God stirring us to get into something. Um, I would say I'm going to speak today. I know she's going to hit it next week and then maybe one more week after that. So we're not going to spend a lot of time. But there are times where we're teaching. Um, you can never go wrong with just teaching the word of God. You're just, you're quipping. I mean, just when in doubt, you're, you know, you, you, you're just, you're leading the body and encouraging them and strengthening them. But there are times, and we try to have these times more than, than not, where you really sense God is saying, like, this is for now. This is in season. This is a now word. Ecclesiastes says there's a season for everything. And there are unique seasons that God even gives with sharing his word. And we really feel like this is a now season word for our body and, uh, and what he's doing in the fasting and in our lives. And, and so I just want you to really lean into this. If whatever you've got to do to just be with us the next two, three weeks. But we really feel led to unpack the topic of repentance and, and what that means and what that looks like. And we really feel that on the other side of this is freedom, is life, is transformation, is hearts getting reconnected with God. And I, I think, man, I, honestly, I'm so excited. Like, repentance is a gift from the Lord. And we want to we speak into the clarity of, of what it means. Right, Kira, didn't you have a dream or something about this? Or Kira had a dream that we were talking about this. Like, hearts have been stirred over this. And there's a lot of prescriptions that God gives us for freedom because he's so serious about freedom. Like we just sang worship bringing freedom. It does. But one of the like staples of a Christian life that brings freedom is repentance. Like on the other side of it is, so, is something so, so beautiful. And it's, I think everyone knows that repentance is significant, right? If you're a Christian, you probably have heard that. Uh, you know it marked the messages of the prophets. It marked the messengers in the new covenant. I mean, John the Baptist came out with that. Uh, Peter, Paul, in the book of Acts, preached on it. Jesus, the Son of God, his first words, think about it, the first words out of the mouth of Jesus was to repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. But what I do feel is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of confusion, and, and probably there's been a lot of distortion, and, th and things have happened, and I feel like we've just stayed away from it. We're actually like, we're robbing people of an essential way of how their hearts get set free and how they get liberated. And so what I want to do is today, I really want to just hit the heart of what repentance really is. 
and how it's meant to mark our lives and how beautiful it really is and it's a gift from the Lord. And then next week, I know Crystal's really going to get into the practical side. And again, depending on what she shares or doesn't share, we'll see. I, I may do one more time and, and really get into the practical side. But I'm just going to ask you to just walk with me for a moment. I promise we're going to get into the deep end of this today. And I believe, I really believe hearts are going to start getting set free today. <laughs> I really do. I, I just, I was overwhelmed this week by it. And, and so I'm just going to, again, just say to, to really lock into this. But, but one of the things I think is that when someone hears repentance, my first thought for a while is that you're speaking of an emotion. It's an emotion. You're, you're feeling really um, sorry over your sin. And I want to be clear that the scriptures speak of godly sorrow, and godly sorrow is really important. Like, that's a sign of love when our heart actually begins to break and ache over things that have, we've allowed in our lives because we love God so much. There's a godly sorrow. Like, worldly sorrow is I'm sorry that I was caught. <laughs> godly sorrow is, is fueled by love and relationship. And so that's a good thing, but I want to be really clear that sorrow over sin, sorrow over things in our life, like living out of alignment with God, sorrow over that, although that's important, it is not the fullness of repentance. Because you can actually have sorrow over sin, but biblically never repent. You can actually be convicted over sin. Now that's a beautiful thing. I have come to learn that when I'm so grateful for the Spirit's conviction, when He convicts me, what Holy Spirit's doing is He's showing me He's helping me make a connection that what I'm feeling inside, which is that inner turmoil, if you've ever been there, like, you know you've settled and come into agreement with something God has never planned for you. When you start to feel that inner turmoil, the Holy Spirit in his conviction will begin to help you identify or connect that that, like, that chaos inside is, is connected to you moving in a direction that's apart from what God wants for you. He's helping you to see that so you make the connection and say, wow, I want to turn to God. I want to turn back to the Lord. I want to, I want to return unto intimacy and in what God has for me. Um, Pharaoh, Pharaoh in Exodus 9, he actually, um, he, he, before Moses, he acknowledged his sin. He said, I've sinned against God and his people. But Pharaoh never repented because he actually never turned. It's really important, even though he acknowledged it, because I've had this in my life where I'm like, man, I got really sorry over what I, what's going on in my life, and that's, that's, that's a part of an aspect Conviction's part of it. But if, I, if it never leads me unto the fullness, which is turning to the Lord, as we're going to see in a moment, we've actually never fully experienced like the fruit and the, and the truth of, of repentance. Repentance is not just promising God to do better tomorrow. It's really important. It's not just this empty moralism of God, I promise I'm going to try harder tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll try even, I'll do it better. Like that, there's a good healthy desire in that, but it is not an empty moralism. There's something deeper that's going on in the heart of where we're being transformed. I just want, again, we're like, I feel like we're about to go in the deep end and we're just getting to the pool right now, all right? So just walk with me because I want us to have clarity of what we're saying. When, when we talk about repentance, the simplest way, I, I've been, like the last two weeks, I've been working through these resources from Genesis to Revelation. The best way to describe it is that it is simply a return to God. The primary expression of repentance in the scriptures is return to me. Not to a theory, not to a code of ethics, not to a building, not to a statement of faith, but to a living God. It's unto union and intimacy. Repentance at the fullest sense is returning from something and turning unto the Lord. Like this is why I'm so filled with faith for what's about to happen. Because the biblical precedent is this. Every time a people come into a place of repentance and turning from something unto the Lord, encounter is always on the other side. 
encounter with God, the living God, is always on the other side. Repentance is, is filled with hope. It's filled with its life-giving because it's always leading us back to the giver of life. It's always leading us back. Repentance is delivering us from the life of self because he says, return to me, return to me. And at the heart of sin is me trying to live my own life, which just destroys us from the inside out. But God has said, you don't need to stay there. He's given us a prescription to continually come back to him. So, so, when, so again, just we'll unpack this more as we go along today in the next few weeks. But when we turn to the Lord, return to me, there's really a, there's this dramatic change that happens. Conviction, sorrow, all these things can take place, but it's unto a turn. And here's, here's what you find biblically. From Genesis to Revelation, three things change. First, it's a change of mind. So you see this a lot in the Greek with metanoia. That's the word used, which means a change of mind, which means we start breaking agreement with lies that we believed, and we actually start coming under the truth of God. This is a, a, a really significant part because most of the time, or I should probably say every time, our behavior is dictated by our beliefs. So what happens is we start changing our mind and submitting to the truth of God and say, I'm going to build my life around your truth and not this, this lie, which has actually become a stronghold. So it's a change of mind. It's a change of will or action, which usually they go hand in hand, right? And then there's a change of heart. This is why it's not just like an external thing. Literally, there is a reorientation of the inner life where, where there was dullness or lack of love for God. It's fueled back into us. Like there's passion. If there was passivity, like fire comes back into the heart again for the Lord. Zeal comes back in the heart again for the Lord. So what happens is when we repent and turn to the Lord, we're actually breaking agreements in the mind. We're breaking agreements with thoughts that we've made. We're taking them captive and saying, God, no longer will I believe this truth anymore or this lie. I'm going to believe your truth, God. We're breaking, we're breaking uh, uh, agreement with actions, lifestyles, habits. We're saying, God, I'm not going to settle for here when you've called me unto so much, something so much glorious. The Lord's saying, come up higher. Come up higher. <laughs> and it's, and it's, a, it's a breaking of agreement in the heart, meaning where we've allowed lesser things to have our affections, we're saying, no more, no more. I'm going to get locked into the greater thing. And here's the beauty is that you actually find what really satisfies. You find what really brings joy. You find what really brings life. So at the heart of repentance is we're breaking agreements on all of these levels. We're turning. Like, it's, it's intense. We are turning to the Lord, and we're returning to intimacy. And on the other side of that is life, <laughs> is refreshing, is <laughs> so, so powerful. I want you to see, look at, look at um, Acts chapter 3. Oh my goodness, there's going to be just God encounters today. I know it. I know it. And this is going to mark our lives. Acts chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 18. So this is Peter, Peter and John. They were used by the Lord to heal a lame man outside the temple. A powerful story. The, 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 the kingdom of God was just demonstrated. And what happened is because this man was lame for 40 years... 40 years, when the crowd saw a man who, who they only knew as being lame, now leaping with joy, of course they begin to surround. And so Peter and John now see an opportunity to now proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. They've demonstrated it, now they're going to proclaim it. And so they're going to give reason and an answer. They're going to give uh, uh, um, commentary as to why this man was able to be healed. And so there's a number of things they say. I'm just going to pick it up in verse 18. It says this. This is Peter speaking to the crowds, wanting to know how this man could be healed and restored. 
He says, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So what Peter is saying, this, the reason why this man could be healed is because every prophet testified that there's a day coming when God would send the Messiah, Jesus. And he would come and he would suffer. And ironically, through his suffering is actually how he'd bring the kingdom of God here. And he's saying, because the suffering servant has come, the kingdom of God is here now. Because the, the king has come, the kingdom is, is here now. And as a result, Peter says this. Ready? Repent, therefore. So this is a full turning. Look what it says next. And turn back. What's he saying to turn to? Turn to God. Repent, therefore, and turn back to God. That, here's the fruit of it. That your sins may be blotted out. And then verse 20. This is what God was just pounding in my heart this week. And that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing is what's on the other side of repentance. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know what that means? That means times of refreshing. It actually means that word refreshing means a recovery of breath. In the garden, God breathed into man. Sin, sin destroyed that. But Jesus coming and laying down his life has made a way for the breath of God to re-enter man again. And this is not just, this is not just, we're going to see in a moment, this is not just for the unbeliever. As Christians, our life, it's a little different, I'll share why, but as Christians, our lives are meant to be marked by this, where we experience fresh waves of the Spirit again reviving us. On the other side of repentance is, is refreshing. That means God wants to revive. That's revival. Like we're talking about revival. So many things go in with this, but on, one of the key things is our hearts being turned back to the Lord. Hearts being turned back to the Lord. There's revival. There's renewing. There's restoring. There's rebirthing. There's rejoicing on the other side. All of this because it's leading us to encounter God. So th listen, repentance is, I said it before, I want to say it again. It is not, I feel like it's got this stigma that it's like this bad thing. It is a gift from the Lord. <laughs> Acts 11.18, Acts it says God granted the Gentiles repentance. He granted them repentance. 2 Timothy 2.25 says the same thing, a little bit different. Paul says God granted them repentance, meaning it was a gift because here's what happens. Guys, this is for, uh, I really feel stirred for Christians because th this is really important. But here's what happens because I've experienced this, I know everyone has at some point. When our lives come out of alignment with what God has called us to, when we're not living in agreement with what God has called us to, there is a weight that we feel to that. Put whatever word you want. There is an inner turmoil that we begin to feel. Like we're, we're angry and we don't even know why. We're restless. We don't have peace. Man, our hearts get hardened to the things of God. Like we're just, we're, we don't understand why the zeal of the Lord is gone. Like we get cynical. All of these things start hitting our hearts. But it's a gift. God says, I've given you a gift that when you feel you've gotten to that place, you don't have to stay there. There's actually a prescription for you to come out of it, and it's to turn your heart and break agreements in your mind, in your action, and in your heart. And you will, you will, you will experience times of refreshing. Like David, David is one of the most profound examples of this. In Psalm 32, David committed sin with Bathsheba, if you know the story, adultery. Um, I mean, he murdered Uriah. This is a man after God's own heart, which is amazing because God is, so, we're going to see the tender heart of God in all of this. But David, David felt the weight of living out of alignment with God. And he literally said, until he confessed, you know what he said? He said, it's like my bones are wasting away. He says, I feel like I have no strength, as if 
I was sitting in the midday sun in, in summer. <laughs> like if someone were to come into a gathering today, in the church today, honestly, if someone were to start expressing that language, because that's like I can't even get up out of bed stuff. And I've been there. Our response would be he probably needs meds. Well, he needs this, and he needs that, and he needs this. And I'll be honest, there are times and places I get for all these secondary options. But you know what David really needed to do? He just needed to confess and turn his heart to the Lord. And if he turned his heart to the Lord, there was times of refreshing right on the other side of that. And honestly, I just, I, 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 it's so important. That, like, there's, it's available this morning. It's available every day of your life that when you feel like, man, I'm here and I'm, what do I do? The Lord says, turn your heart to me. I, we're going to see the jealous zeal of the Father for you. He wants us. He says, return to me. So wh one other thing really quick I want to just teach that's, that I've mentioned. I, I feel like another major misconception with repentance is that it's, it's restricted to a singular act that we did in order to enter into salvation in the kingdom of God. Now, I want to be clear. To receive the gift of salvation, we do need to turn our hearts, and, and there's a place where that initiates everything. But, but it is meant to be the mark of a Christian, his lifestyle. It's really important because a lot of people say, why do I need to repent? I've already done that. Mar How many know Martin Luther who led the Reformation? Martin Luther, he pioneered the Reformation, 1500s. The church had gotten corrupt and perverted. And Martin Luther really led to what we still reap today, the fruit of it. But what really like, set off the Reformation is that he took and wrote out these things called the 95 Theses. And were all these statements of the corruption of the church. And he took it and he nailed it to a wooden door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany. And the moment he nailed it, it's what set in motion the Reformation. But the very first thesis, and it would do us well to read them. You can find them online. Here's what the very first thesis says. He says, when our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said repent, he meant that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. Now, you first you hear that and you say, well, that sounds bleak and like we're not making any progress. Like we're just going in circles and uh-uh. Because he knew, he knew what it was unto and he understood that this is one of the primary marks of how you grow and mature. What happens is you go deeper with the Lord and the Lord begins to show you more things. And you, because you're falling deeper in love with God, you say, I want to turn from this thing. And you turn and you go deeper. And then the Lord shows you more things and you break more agreements and come deeper. And you go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It is in the place of repentance where we're breaking off these things and allowing us to really experience the fullness of intimacy that God desires to have with us. So why, so here's the question, why, and then I promise we're like, we're going to go into this. Why as, why as Christians, if we've been washed by the blood, forgiven, like we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, why in the world do we need to forgive, uh, to, to ask for repentance? And the simplest way to, to, to explain is that it is unto restored intimacy. It's really important because I want us to know this. When we repent as Christians, we are not, we are not getting saved all over again. And this is where it gets really jacked up with Christians is we think that when we're repenting, we're actually atoning for our sins. Nothing can atone for your sins but the blood of Jesus. This will really, see, just as Jesus wants to be married to us, right? We're in covenant. Just as I can be in a marriage with my wife, we can, we can be in covenant, but our intimacy because of things that we're doing can be really strained. And you can feel the weight of that, in, the, like that broken intimacy. Am I still in covenant with her? Absolutely. We're still married. But I'm feeling the effects of not having the fullness of what could be there. And as Christians, when we repent, it's unto not being saved, born again, atoning for our sins. 
It's unto the restoration of intimacy, which is why there's always life on the other side. It's why it's always there. We turn our hearts to him. We see him. We get set free. I, I just, I want to be clear in that because... If you're not careful and you don't have a good handle of the gospel, repentance gets really religious and self-righteous. We start thinking the more miserable we can make ourselves, now we're earning God's forgiveness. Jesus was made miserable for your sin. That is the only way to experience forgiveness. In religion, in religion, we earn our forgiveness. But in the gospel, we receive it. Bible says that he is just. He is faithful and just to forgive us. That's amazing. He's just. That's why he forgives us. Why? Because Jesus paid the just penalty for us. He cannot, he cannot reject forgiveness to you because he's just, and Jesus has paid the full price for your life. So when we repent as Christians, we're not buying or atoning our salvation. We're actually being reawakened to what was always there. And here's the other thing is that if you don't know the gospel and you're not firm in it, you will find that repentance as a Christian is always bitter. Here's why. If you're not fully convinced that you're standing before Father solely on the blood of Jesus, the most painful, traumatic thing you could ever do is own your weaknesses and failures because you believe that it's your morality that's still keeping you right before God. And you will find that those that are bound in religion rarely ever repent, and if they do, it never goes deep. Only when crisis has hit their life do they finally crack to turn back because they do not understand that in Jesus you are fully accepted and loved and the more that gets into your heart the more you're actually able to frequently and deeply repent because you know that all that you have is rooted in what he's done for you does that make sense so when we talk about this as Christians we need to have right mindset that we're not getting saved again we're not atoning for our sins it's unto growing in relationship and intimacy with God so I want you to turn with me to Zechariah chapter 1, please. And I got you some background music for today. Hey, you guys, are you guys good? Is this, are you making sense? All right. So we're going to hit the heart on this right now, and then we'll see what the Lord does. Zechariah chapter 1, I just want to read... Really, two verses, three and four. I could have taken you to a number of places, but I want us to see the heart of repentance is returning to God. So here's what it says, verse three. We could have went to a number of places. It says, therefore say to them, this is God speaking through the prophet Zechariah, therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, ready, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Wow. <laughs> What an incredible statement. For the unbeliever, it means for the first time you will turn to God. For the one who knows the Lord and is sealed by the Spirit, it's speaking then about restored intimacy is the principle for us. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 4, do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. That's so important. We'll come back to that. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds, but they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. So at the heart of repentance is, the, is God says, return to me. I want you to feel this because you have to. I want you to feel the jealous zeal of your father for all of you. I want you to feel that. Like, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, 
that you would just destroy the religion that so gets attached to this gift. And I pray our minds, our hearts, everything would be awakened to the beautiful call that you are after us, God. You are after us. And I pray every heart, every heart would grow in the knowledge of your word right now. In Jesus' name. He says, return to me and I'll return to you. This is the jealous zeal of God for you. Our God is a consuming fire. (laughs) He is not content to be at a distance with you. He's not content to have a piece of you. He gave up all of himself so that he could have all of you. This cry of the Father to return to me, this has been the cry that was initiated at the beginning in the garden. The moment sin entered in, the Father has been declaring over the earth to his beloved creation, return to me. And what it said right here is that in verse 4 it says, the former prophets cried this out. Which means when you read the, the, the prophetic books, and if you're like me, man, some of those can be challenging. They're long. There's, there's, there's imagery and things that are rooted in culture, and you can get really discouraged reading it. Zechariah makes it really simple for us. You want to know what every single prophetic message was unto? This right here. Intimacy with God. Union with God. Restoring us back to the garden is what it's always been about. I said it before. I'll say it again. We are not returning to a statement of faith. We're not just returning to a building. We are returning to a living relationship with God. We are returning to the one that our hearts love. When we come out of alignment with God, man, that, that's, that we're, we're missing like the fullness of that. And every prophet cried out to this, and Jesus comes as the true prophet of the Father. He's the true voice. He's the true mouth of God, which is why in Hebrews 1-2, It says, long ago, the father spoke in many ways to the fathers through the prophets. What was he speaking? Return to me. But he says, but now in these last days, he has spoken through his son. What has Jesus been proclaiming? Return to me. Everything about Jesus' life was perpetually declaring this thing, return to me. Every time he was rejected, every piercing, every nailing, every whipping, every blaspheming over who he is, he's the prince of demons, he could have just said, I'm out but love possessed him because he was making a way for me and you to return to him. He stayed because he wants you. He's not just interested in in our works, although that's important, but that's Revelation 2, the church of Ephesus. I commend you for all the things that you've been doing, but I want you. I want you. I want to restore the ache back into your heart again. I want to restore zeal back into your heart again. I want to restore fire back into your heart again. And he promises that if you return to me, I will return to, to you. Now look at this. I think this like so like really, really moved me. The pattern here is that God says, return to me and I will return to you. Now what's happened is, this is what I noticed in scripture is we can't do anything without the grace of God. When God speaks, his voice is life and there's grace in it. Meaning it has the power in itself to do what he's asking us to do. So he says, return to me. In other words, he says, there's grace now. There is grace this morning and every day of your life where the Father is wooing you once again. There is a grace this morning saying, return to me. But then look what he does. Then he waits to see our response. And then when we respond, he then responds. He says, I speak, return to me, and when you make a step towards me, I will return to you. This is profound. James 4.8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There's something about our yes that moves God. There's something about a step of hunger, a step of humility, a step of faith 
where we make the smallest inclination back to him to say, God, I don't know what's going on, I don't know why, but God, I want you. I want this gone. And the moment we take that step, God comes running towards us. This is prodigal son paradigm. The moment the son started returning, the father was already running after him. See, here, 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 this is so important because what happens, and I, I find in my life, is that when I come out of alignment with God and what he's called me into, and I start feeling all of that stuff inside, I feel stuck, and all of a sudden I start saying, well, when God's ready to do something, he'll do it. But what God is saying is, actually, I'm waiting for you to make the step. I've already given the grace. I'm wooing you right now. And if you would take the first step, you take one step towards God, he'll take ten steps towards you. One step. Listen, it doesn't matter how weak it is. You may not be able to muster it much. I mean, it may just literally be like, God, I just, I don't even know what's going on, but I don't want to be here anymore. God comes running after you. Running after you, he meets that. He's, he's not looking for perfection of words. He's looking for a heart returning to him. In the book of Lamentations, listen, Lamentations is a pretty bleak book. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it literally means to, to lament. Five chapters of just Jeremiah lamenting over the state of his people. But in the very last chapter, there's 22 verses. Uh, verse 21, like kind of these two verses go together, 21, 22. Here's how it ends, is that the people cry out and say this. Lord, they say, cause us to return, O Lord, that we may return. I love this. The cry is not even, we're coming. The cry is so weak, actually. <laughs> All they're saying is, God, would you even cause us to want to return? Would you give us the strength to want this? Like, sometimes the only cry that I have is, God, help me to want to want to come back. Help me to want to want to care about the things of God again. God, help me to want to want to have fire again. Help me to want to want to have, that's a lot of wants, <laughs> but to have zeal in my heart again, to have passion in my heart again. Sometimes the only thing we can muster up is, God, I don't know what's going on, but I don't want to be here. I want to want to get rid of this, God. Would you do that? And God says, that's enough right there. He says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knows that we're weak. He knows it. He's not put off by your weakness. And even when your flesh is weak, he sees the yes in your spirit. There are times where you're stuck in things and you're saying, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't even understand myself. But he sees the yes in your spirit and he's returning to that. And he's setting you free from that. Oh, my goodness. Come to, uh, can you guys turn to Isaiah 30 really quick, please? Isaiah chapter 30. And I'm going to look at verse 18, 19. Oh, I want to encourage you that one step today, or whatever this looks like, it's not just for a moment. This is a lifestyle. God is right there. He's so jealous. Listen, he's already proved how much you mean to him. I feel like a lot of times repentance is presenting this angry God, but this is a God who gave up his life so that you could return to him. You could return to him. Like, he's jealous for you. Look at Isaiah 30, verse 18, 19. Now, this, this this is probably, the, the, the true context is that it's a message that's probably dealing with the return of the Lord. But there's a principle in here that, I, I, that really speaks to who God is. And I want you to hear this. Ready? Look at verse 18. It says, Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. That's incredible. It says, the Lord waits to be gracious. He's waiting. 
which means there's, there's an anticipation, there's a, there's a desire in God to want to be gracious to you. Oh, this is so good. He goes on to say, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Now, ready? Look at verse 19. This is the key. For people shall dwell in Zion in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. Ready? He will surely be gracious to you. So he desires to be gracious, and he surely will. But when will he do it? He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. <laughs> That's a phenomenal statement. It says God is waiting to be gracious to you. So here you have this, this Zechariah attention. The Lord is wooing us with his grace, saying, return to me. And the Lord is saying, I'm waiting for you to move, and you need to understand something. God's heart is exploding over wanting to be gracious to you. The Lord says, I want to renew you. I want to restore you. I want to revive you. I want to give you more. I want to lead you in the seasons of rejoicing. I want to do that, but I wait for your cry. I wait for you to ask. I wait for something to lift up where you are so discontent with where you're at that you turn to me, and God says, I will be right there to do it. I'll be there to do the very thing. Do you know in the book of Judges, uh, there's six dominant judges, and if you've ever read it, Samson, Gideon, those men are in the book of Judges, but there's a cycle that takes place. The people of God had prosperity, then they turned from the Lord, and then what happens is they ultimately are handed over to captivity in their land, and then what they do is they lift up a cry. It says they would cry to the Lord, and then when they would cry, God would raise up a deliverer. The deliverer would not come until there was a cry. He waits for that. He's not going to force himself on anyone. And if you feel like you're just overwhelmed and stuck in whatever it may be, God is waiting. The moment you lift up that cry, boom, he's right there. And the deliverer comes running in and sets you free. Let me share another scripture in Joel 2, if you'd come there, please. Joel chapter 2, and I'm going to look specifically at verses 12 and, and 13. Times are refreshing on the other side of this, guys. You don't have to stay there. God is ready to restore. Joel chapter 2 reveals the, 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 the response that God desires. Again, frame it, how, use whatever language, but when your life comes out of alignment and agreement with God, Joel 2 tells us the response that God is looking for. So we're not left to guessing. We're not left to wondering. God actually gives us this blueprint. It's not this hard and fast model, but it's about principles of how we direct our heart back to him. Now, Joel 2 is dealing on a corporate communal-like level, but what's true on that level is true on the personal level. And so I'm going to read verses 12 and 13, and uh, I'm going to read them together, and then we'll unpack each one, and then we're going to give time to prayer. Verse 12 says this. It says, yet even now declares the Lord. So here like we are. We need a time of repentance. It says, yet even now declares the Lord. Ready? Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Verse 13, and rend your hearts and not your garments. 
Return to the Lord your God. There it is again. It's all through Scripture. This is the heart of repentance, returning to the Lord himself. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. So this is what it's saying. He says, Joel begins and gives us the expression again. He says, return to me, return to the Lord. I can't state this enough. When we speak about biblical repentance, we're not talking about moralism. We're not talking about you just trying to do better the next time. We are talking about your heart being set before his presence again and you getting restored to a heart that's burning once more. Like, you, you listen, I often thought backsliding. I'll never forget Eric Gilmore taught him this. We're backsliding. I thought backsliding is when you stop doing the things of God. No, no. The church at Ephesus in Revelation, Revelation teaches us the right uh, definition of backsliding. You can be doing the things of God and your heart stop aching for him. True repentance is when your heart starts aching for him. We can be showing up regularly. We can be doing all the things. We could be flourishing in ministry. But if the flame has gone, that's when we're in need of turning our hearts. It's about getting, setting the heart ablaze again for God. And if you were to work from Genesis to Revelation and ask God, what are you after? What is it all about? He would say, I want their hearts. I want their hearts. The, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is what he wants, all of us. And he says, return to me with all your heart. He says, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Why? Why those things? What I felt the Lord say to me this week is because those things are marks of a tender heart. And it is a tender heart that moves God. He wants to break through the callousness. He wants to break through the indifference. That's the thing that God, that's the thing that resists God is the heart. He wants to break through and bring back a tender heart. Fasting, like we're fasting right now. We didn't even get to teach much on it. It's not not eating that moves God. It's really important. He's not impressed by that dedication. He's not impressed by us trying to prove that we're sincere. What moves God in fasting is that fasting is a discipline that, that positions your heart to experience an acceleration of tenderization. What happens in fasting when you turn from food to consume Jesus is your heart starts getting soft again because you're meeting with him. What he wants in fasting is not the plate of food to be pushed aside. He wants the tender heart. So he says, return to me and do these things because these things will get you soft to me again. These things will get you sensitive to me again. He says, return to me with weeping and mourning because he loves to see us in sad and pain. No, no. These aren't tears of just sadness, tears of emotionalism. These are tears of a heart that's being touched by God. These tears are signs of a restoration of sensitivity to God again. I've said before, I'll say it again, for me, and I believe many could attest to this, one of the most dangerous things I've noticed in my life is when tears stop flowing from me. When I can come before the presence of God, when I can come and hear the testimonies of God, and I do not shed a tear, my heart is getting hard. I hear the Lord say... <laughs> I do. I hear the Lord say, Andrew, you're getting too professional. You're getting too mature. You're getting too grown up. You need to become more childlike again. I want to restore awe and wonder to your heart again. He wants to restore that. The fasting, the, the, fasting, the weep in the morning is a heart that's getting soft. It's beginning to beat again for God. Like I picture when we do these things, just imagine a heart that's just been frozen over. Every time you're turning, it's like it's melting, it's melting, it's melting until the heart is alive again and beating. It's for every single person this morning and 
every single day of your life. But this, this I think, is so important. Look how he begins in verse 12. He says, I want you to return with me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. But he says this, yet even now. Some translations say, therefore, now. <laughs> now listen to me. If you don't know God, you think like because he's wanting you to go on his lap and give you a big spanking. No, he wants to set you free. He wants to set you free. And he's so serious about this. And look, we said before how God waits. And we can wait, but I want you to know something. This is really important. Something happens when we're in that waiting season and we're not responding. Here's what I found in my heart. This is really, really critical. Is everyone listening? The reason why God says now is here's what I found in my heart and most people I've sit to counsel with is the propensity of the human heart is to always put off rending the heart till tomorrow. Every time God starts dealing with me, it's so sincere and genuine. I really do mean it, but I say tomorrow, God. One more weekend, one more run, one more week, one more month, one more binging. One more engaging this activity that's stealing my affection. One more time, God. And God says, no, now because I want it now. And here's why. Guys, this is so important because the Lord said something this week that really gave clarity to what happens in my life. When God speaks and grace hits your heart and then we say no, you never stay the same in that place. Meaning, this is the scripture the Lord gave me. He says, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Which means when he speaks and he says, come out of this, return, and we say no, our hearts get a little bit harder. And our hearts get a little bit harder. And they get a little bit harder. And they get a little bit harder. Until one day, because I've been here, you wake up and say, how did I get here? But here's the good news. Every yes to God, your heart gets softer and softer and softer and softer until it begins to be a full-on flaming fire once again for the Lord. So important, if the grace of God is wooing you to say yes, to say yes, you never stay neutral is what Joel is saying. We're either going forward or backward is what he's saying. And turn to the Lord. Verse 13. Verse 13, he says, and rend your hearts and not your garments. I love that. You know why he's saying this is because the, the, the culture in, uh, at this time with Israel is that when they were in deep um, grief, they would rend their garments. It's a violent, forceful tearing of their garments, and it was a, 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 a symbolic act to say we are in grief. And the Lord says, I don't want a public demonstration. <laughs> I don't want a public show. I want the real thing. I want you. <laughs> I'm jealous for you. And he says, rend your heart, not your garments. Again, to rend means to tear violently, forcefully. Guys, the Lord is inviting us. This is a place to get vulnerable with God. And that can be really hard if you've opened up your heart to people and they've hurt you. But we're going to see in a moment, in just a second, the tender heart of God that it leads us to do this. But God is saying, I want you to open up your heart to me because this is where you're going to get healed. Don't close me off. I want you to get real. I already know. I've bled for you. Like, I want you to just lay it bare before me. It's so intense, that language. He's actually saying, I want you to violently tear down anything that's quenching the spirit in your life. Jesus gave the same language. He said, if there's something that's quenching the spirit, gouge it out. Cut it off. Get rid of it. Because he's after us. It's really, really intense. He says, I, I, want you to, I want you to come strong against those things that are gripping your heart, that, that are not in agreement with my heart towards you. 
So this is what happens. We go back to the beginning. When we repent, there's the change of mind, the change of action, the change of heart. We're breaking agreements in those things and saying, God, I'm going to forcefully tear these things and return back to you. Now, now here's something important is that it says, the Lord says, I want you to rend your heart. This gets me really frustrated. <laughs> because I, here's what I want. This means that we have a part to play in our transformation and maturity. It's all rooted in his grace, but we've got to respond. And here's what I want. When I see cycles of sin, patterns that I know are not, I'm not living in the fullness of what he has, I want to go to bed and wake up the next day and all my desires and temptations are gone. I want him to zap me, and when he doesn't, I get really frustrated over that. I want to be free of personal choice of having to actually tear myself from those things. I want, I want to one day wake up, it's all gone, and then I say, now I'm in. But the Lord said, no, 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 this is not how it's going to be. I want you, through my grace, to make the choice to break agreements in your mind, in your life, and in your heart with these things. Because in that, it's going to become the public platform, the theater for you to display your love for me. To me, for yourself, and to the world. It's going to do something in you when you make that choice to do that. I want you to tear. <laughs> and here's what the Lord says. I'll help you along the way. <laughs> you can even ask me. He says, I'm tender. I'm gentle. You can even ask the Lord, would you be tender in this? The Lord says, I will be tender. I will be gentle. But you can give me your heart. How, how can you... The last thing I want to share, how can you and I ever find the courage and the confidence to rend our hearts to God and get this vulnerable? You don't even need to raise your hand, but I'll say myself, like, I've definitely opened up before, and it has been turned back. And the natural tendency is when you've been vulnerable in the body is to close yourself off and say, uh-uh, never again will I do that. But the Lord is not like man. And, and you can't live in that place because you actually dehumanize yourself because you were meant to, there, you need to be open. And the Lord invites us to get vulnerable with him. But how do you do that? Joel is about to lead us into the five-fold revelation of God's tender heart. That's the, that's the last part of this is Joel is about to show us the tender heart of God where you can find the courage to get vulnerable and to tear your heart open before him. Listen, if you're, if, again, if, if, if there's compromise, passivity, dullness, whatever it may be, Joel is saying there's a new beginning today. There's a new beginning now. God wants to push the delete button over your life like it never happened. It says, would you turn to him? And look, here's what it is. I'm going to ask actually the worship team, if you guys could come up, please. And I want to read these things. So Joel chapter 2, verse 13. Here's where we find the courage to bring our hearts to the Lord in this way. Now there's five things here. I could spend the rest of my life teaching on these. We will spend the rest of our lives drinking from these realities of who God is. But I'm just going to give you these one-line one statements to stir your heart this morning and for the days to come. Is everyone good? Yeah? Yeah? So verse, verse 13, let's read it again. He says, and rend your hearts and not your garments. He says, return to the Lord your God, 
Ready? For he is gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love, or he's great in kindness, and he relents over disaster. Where do you find the strength to do it? Number one, he says that he's gracious. God does not evaluate us like the world evaluates us. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> he is not... He is not an angry coach. I've played under those guys. <laughs> when you make a mistake, it was that guy. <laughs> film sessions are not fun. God's not taking you through a film session saying, look at that, do this, do this, do this. It's not like that. He's not, he's not, a, a, uh, he's not an angry father. <laughs> like, honestly, one of the things that's convicted me through this is that I see how frustrated I get over my kids' weaknesses. I get frustrated by it. Quickly, he doesn't get put off by your weaknesses. Bible says that he understands that we came from dust and he understands our frailty. He understands that the flesh is weak and he understands that our hearts are prone to wander. And when the world says failure, screw up, it's over, God says, uh-uh, I see that small yes in that spirit. She's mine, he's mine. And I'm yours. Psalm 103.10 says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Such good news. If, mo if we were to understand the grace of God, we would be able to return our heart again and again and again. Most people run from this because they do not understand that God is waiting to be gracious. We can rend our hearts before the Lord because he's gracious and he's merciful. The Lord delights in mercy, it says. In other words, God, God loves to pour mercy out on your life, and he loves, this is what I feel, I, I feel that when the Lord pours mercy out, he loves when you get awakened to that mercy. He loves when the mercy touches your life, and you come into a realization of how merciful it is, and you start returning saying, God, you are so good. You are so amazing. The Lord says, I delight in that. Micah 7.18 says, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. Who is a God like you? You pardon iniquity because he delights in mercy. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. Again, he's not easily angered by our weakness. Ezekiel 33 says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. He desires to see you have life. Yes, eternal life, but the fullness of this life. He's abounding in steadfast love, it says. It means he's great in kindness. Your, your repentance will never be met with rejection. He's just. He has to forgive because of what Jesus has done over your life when you come in that. In fact, Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience? Ready? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. It's his kindness that leads you to repentance. It's the goodness of who he is that melts your heart. And the last thing he says is that he relents over disaster. Which means he's so eager to cancel out disaster over your life. Judgment. If you have any questions of this, just look upon the cross. The fullness of God's wrath was poured out on the Son so that we could return. Listen, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm not even sure what this really needs to look like, and I'm not really concerned with that. I just feel, I feel the Lord just is inviting us to really get our hearts before him. 
And I'll say it again. Listen, if God's just stirring in your heart, and it's like tomorrow, listen, the heart never stays the same. There's grace this morning. Sometimes, listen, there's a process. By the way, it's pretty quick. He can just turn. For some people, we can just quickly turn. But for other people, the turn is not so quick. Like if you're driving the wrong way and you need to turn around, sometimes you actually have to go a, a, like a, a, a detour before you can actually get back on the right path. You're in this weird limbo stage. For some of you, there's going to be a process because you've, really you've really been in a place for a long time. It's not going to maybe be an overnight process. But begin taking the step today. Begin taking the step today. There's going to be some ups and downs, but begin saying, God, I'm bringing my heart to you. And God is going to meet you this morning. So whatever that looks like, look, we'll have people, if we have prayer team, they can be up here. You can just stay where you're at. You can come. You don't even need to receive prayer. You can kneel, stand, lay down, sing. But I just want to give a few minutes for us to really say, God, here it is. Here's my step this morning. And he's going to meet you. Amen? Do we have a prayer team set up? Vicky, whoever else, Diane, I don't know, Melanie, if Melanie wants to come up. And again, you don't need to have people lay hands on you. Pat can come up if Pat's able to. But whatever it looks like, I just sense a grace even now. Lord, we just declare this is your space to move in hearts. Oh, we hear the ache of your heart, Father. We thank you. You made every way for us to return. We thank you, Lord, that you are after intimacy. Lord, I just come against the pride of man, the stubbornness in our hearts, Lord. I come against hopelessness, God. Lord, there's always hope with you. I thank you that you're always fighting for us, Lord. I thank you that there's new beginning this morning. I just pray, God, this morning when a heart turns, we pray for cycles of things to break this morning, God. Restore passion to your bride, Lord. Where there's dull hearts, God, would you begin to put a fire back in them, Lord? Where there's wandering eyes, would you begin to put singleness back in their eye towards you, God? Where there's boredom with you, God, would you begin to put amazement back in wonder, God? 